0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Father, we just uh, recognize that you're in this place today, God, and you want to meet with somebody. This morning, even as we were praying, Father, we just said we believe today somebody's going to have an encounter with you. Not, Not just an experience Because God, experiences could be, oh, I felt like it was cool because there were lights and I felt like it was cool because of the band playing my favorite song. Lord, we don't want an experience, we want an encounter. And I pray that somebody has an encounter with the goodness of God this morning. And that part that says, "In my life laid down, I surrender. I surrender all, I surrender everything. God, I pray that that can be somebody's challenge this morning on their heart that they're saying, you know what, I'm pushing everything in. I'm tired of of trying to control everything and it it all belongs to you, Jesus. And so we just pray that over this place this morning. So Father, um, in this moment, as we're singing about your goodness, I pray that it's more than a song. That we believe from the core of our heart, Jesus, that your goodness is running after us, that you're for us. I love what Ryan said, you are for us, God. You wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross if he were not for us. And so, God, coming out of Easter Sunday, coming out of all the Easter things that were happening in churches all over America and all over the world, God, I pray that we would still see today that you are for us. And, God, we would latch on to that this morning. We love you. God, we're just, yeah, we're just in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite, if I can, the ushers to come forward. I wanna share a couple of things on our our hearts for prayers that are going on in the life of the church. Um, First of all, I wanna just say, if if you're out there and you've got a prayer request and we don't know what that request is, um, you can jot that on your connection card. Um, there's uh, connection cards out there on the welcome table as you go right outside these doors and there's a place for prayers and comments. We, we love to know what's going on in your life. We love to pray with you guys. We get together every Monday as a staff and we pray over you guys. And so if you get a chance um, and you've got something you need prayer over, uh, please feel free to, to fill that out. Then there's a little bucket there that says connect cards and you can dump it in there. Um, you guys know, man, our, our heart is to really have this place be a house of prayer. Jesus. We talked about this a while back. Jesus, when he came into the temple, he said, my house will be defined by one thing. He said, my house is defined um, by this thing. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. And so although we do a lot of other activities and we have kids stuff and youth stuff and worship and all that stuff, um, we believe strategically that prayer changes things, amen? And so um, we've got our new May calendars out. Uh, If you guys wanna pray with us and maybe you struggle with what to pray with on a daily basis, Um, Every day there's something you guys can be praying together with us in and we kind of see may as a celebration of life Excuse me. There's graduations Mother's Day all these things going on And so if you guys need your prayer calendar right outside of the doors on the missions wall You can grab one of these prayer calendars and then also um, This is this is this is gonna be really cool. So we're joining with all of Wichita where the goal is that all 30, 31 days of the month are gonna be covered in prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And some of you are going, man, how, how are we gonna do that? Because we believe that if, if every church in Wichita has the same desire, or at least 30 churches, 31 churches, that we can get this covered where every hour of the day someone is praying in the city. And again, um, man, we just know God does things with, with prayer movements. That's how revival starts. And so um, we're gonna be passing these around. Um, our, our, our day is May the 9th, where um, Reliance is gonna cover that 24 hours of prayer. And so you can see on here, if you wanna sign up from 12 to 12.30 a.m., from 1230 to 1 a.m., just take 30-minute increments. Um, just sign your name there and just, you're saying, hey, I, I want to pray during that time. You don't have to come to the church. You can pray from your home uh, we just or work or wherever you're at. We just want to make sure that um, all the hours of the day on May the 9th are covered. And so these will be going around here in just a little bit. I do want you to know when you read a.m. or p.m., because if you sign up for 1 a.m., God bless you, amen. And so uh, just just note that on there, but wanna encourage you to do that um, if that's you. Uh, just a couple of other things I'd ask you guys to be praying for that we've had kind of come in. Um, some of you guys know Sylvia Koontz, we're praying for her, um, just some, some breast cancer that she had found out. and. Um, Man, she's just believing in healing. We're believing in healing for her. So if you guys would just be in prayer for Sylvia. Um, Also asking um, for prayer for a couple of ladies that came through, uh, uh, Dana and Javon, I believe, um, just some situations going on in their life. And so just lots going on. And if you've got something, man, you don't walk alone. We love you guys. We wanna encourage you today that God sees you and his goodness is running after you. So if you would, let's just bow our heads. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we are um, desperately in need of you. God, we, uh, we know that we can't do this life alone. We know that we weren't called to do this life alone. And Jesus, we believe that when we pray, your word says that you hear our prayers. So God, we, we don't wanna be a church that has some prayer, we wanna be a church of prayer. We wanna believe, God, that our prayers are going far and wide. And so, God, I just think of those in this place today who just have needs in their hearts, Some, God, are facing those mountains that we were talking about. They don't know how they're gonna overcome that mountain. I pray today, God, that they just feel your love and your goodness is chasing after them today. They're gonna be okay. Lord, we pray for those who have cancer, those who are struggling through um, that, Jesus. Just, would you bring just a healing touch to them? God, those that are in the throes of depression and anxiety and fear and worry, God, would you just sweep over them this morning that they would just know your love and your grace, Jesus. We are, we're ready to encounter you, Father. And we know you're a living God. And so thank you for um, encountering us this morning. Lord, as we take up our offering, we say the same thing every week. No desire, Jesus, to use this offering to build Reliance Community Church. God, we see that the body of Christ is much bigger than this church on the corner of 119th and Pawnee. And so, Father, I pray that you would take this offering far and wide. God, put it into the hands of missionaries that are going to the deepest, darkest places. I pray that um, we can be known as a place, Father, that sows generously, not into building bigger buildings, but, God, to build into lives of people who need the hope of Jesus. That's our prayer. So thank you for the generosity of your people. And now, God, may we give it back full, full, full to what it is that you want to do. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things and all God's people said. How many love you some Jesus today? Yeah? Amen. If you are a visitor, welcome to Reliance Community Church. We are so excited that you guys are here. Um, if you're a regular, it's always good to be with family. We call ourselves a family, so by default, you're part of the family today. Um, we had an absolute uh, awesome time with Easter. Um, if you came to the 8.30 service, God bless you. Thank you for that, because um, it was just packed out at both services, and uh, we thank you that you helped create some space for everybody that came in, at, especially at the later service. Uh, but this past week, we've been kind of doing our Easter cleanup, and let me just tell you, part of Easter cleanup is that we had to match all of the eggs together, and I'm going to just tell you right now, I believe that Satan invented Easter eggs, amen, because trying to find the right match and put them together was the absolute worst thing, and I say that I did it, I didn't, but I saw the two ladies that were doing it, and God bless them, all right, and one of the things when I came in, I said, how's it going, and they said, it's not so bad trying to match them up, it's the fact that all of the chocolate melted in the Easter eggs from being outside, and I just, I want to confess to you, if you were a parent and you brought your kid to our, our resurrection party on Saturday, um, the, the, a lot of the eggs had busted open, and so we were out there putting the eggs back together with the chocolate back, in. it's 80 degrees outside, and a lot of the guys were like, Aaron, man, this chocolate is melted. It is all over. And I was like, just stuff them back. Let's let the parents deal with it, all right? So just, just a confession, like uh, if your kid got Easter chocolate all over them, well, welcome to the resurrection party. So, um... Sometimes, though, like when we're doing this Easter cleanup, sometimes I'm wondering if, as we're cleaning up Easter, if this is kind of how our relationship with Jesus goes. Like, we do Easter big. Like, this is what we do, right? You've got the kind of the whole C&E, you know, Christmas, Easter people. And so churches gear up, and they're like, people are going to come in. Easter's going to be packed. You know, the churches are going to be packed because people are coming in for Easter service. So every place out there does Easter just huge, right? And they put all of their best effort forward when it comes to Easter. And I'm wondering if sometimes this is the way we treat kind of our Christianity with Christ, is that we, for one day, we put all of our effort forward, but then the rest of the time we, we don't. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like once Easter's over and the eggs are matched back together or at least semi-matched back together and we throw them in the plastic bags and we put them up on the shelf, I'm wondering if that sometimes matches our heart with Jesus. That we encounter Jesus, we looked in the tomb, he's risen, the big day is over, and we just simply go back to our ordinary lives. Like we're excited about what Jesus was doing The reality sinks in though, how far am I really willing to press into this relationship? How much am I really willing to be truly committed to an empty tomb? How does this change my life? How does this change the level of commitment? So today, I just called it post-resurrection implications of an empty tomb, and I'll tell you why, because now that the big day is over right? Easter Sunday, the big day is over. Do we still understand that the implications of looking into an empty tomb and you and I confessing that there's a God of the universe who raised his son Jesus from the dead doesn't make us weird, it makes us radical in our Christianity, amen? That if we're buying into this, if you're in here today and you're coming to church and you're saying that you believe that some guy a long time ago died over 2,000 years ago. He was the son of God, the Messiah. And when the tomb was rolled away, when the stone of the tomb was rolled away, that the tomb was empty and this guy came back to life. You're going to look looked at it with two different ways, two different perspectives. One, people are going to say you're absolutely weird for buying into that. Or two, people are going to say absolutely you are radical in your Christian faith and that's how you should live. And so this post-resurrection thing is a big deal. And, and, and our level of commitment to this post-resurrection thing is a big deal. And that's really what I want to talk about today is what our level of commitment to this post-resurrection thing looks like. And I'll tell you why. Um, a couple of things brought this up for me as I was kind of preparing uh, for the message on, on this Sunday. On Easter Sunday... When we were all dressing up last week and and putting our Sunday best on, in Sri Lanka suicide bombers walked into churches and they blew up themselves and they killed over 250 Christian worshipers. 250 Christians going in to worship a risen savior were blown up and died because of believing that the tomb was empty and them wanting to go. And worship a a creator of the universe worship a risen savior together over 500 people were injured um, in those suicide bombings and we all go man that stinks man that stinks you know and and for a moment our hearts are like oh I can't believe that Easter Sunday they all walked in there and and for a moment our hearts are gripped and then something happens to us we just move forward that's so far removed. That's not us. That's not America. That's not who we are. So we're just so far removed, and, and we just kind of move on with, with, with our life and we move on with our commitment, whatever your commitment with Christ looks like. We just kind of move on with that. And I was talking with somebody this week, I believe it was my sister in law, about this. And I asked this question I was like, man, would you bring, like, if, if you knew that that was a reality in America, like, that suicide bombers would you just kind of come in anytime? and just blow blow up churches, if you knew that there was a 50-50 chance of that, and that was reality, would you bring your family to church? Like I was talking with my sister-in-law on this. Obviously, we both love Jesus. You know, Ryan and, and Bree, their family, we all love Jesus. And, but I'm literally, I'm going, would you, if it was a 50-50 chance that you coming into a church today and knowing that in a moment it could blow up, would, would you bring your family into a situation like that? And this deep sense of, everything in me in Christ was like, yes, yes, I would. That's just the commitment that we make to Christ. But then everything on this other side of this flesh inside of me was like, man, I don't know. Like I see my five-year-old daughter running around and I'm like, I, like I, I, don't, I don't know. Everything in me wants to say yes, but if I'm just being honest with you, if there's a 50-50 chance, something in my heart says, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. And so this deep sense of, if we were faced with death, a 50-50 chance of death, would our level of commitment to an empty tomb still be the same? Amen? And so this really resonated in my heart, and, and, and for, for, for some of you guys, if you don't understand, let me kind of put it in our con, if, if today you were going to go to Sedgwick County Zoo and a, a little flash came over the TV that says, hey, we're pretty sure that the lions and tigers are in their cage, we're just not 100% sure, Okay? but we want to have a family zoo day. So come on out. We're 50-50% sure that the cages are going to work. How many of you guys are going to the zoo today? Some of you guys, I'm going, right? This is a game. Let's picnic. Let's just let's play a game, right? B- don't do that, all right? But that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like most of us say, well, no, we would avoid it. We wouldn't go there. We wouldn't be a part of that. If there's a 50-50 chance and so I'm looking at this and I'm looking at our lives and I'm saying, to what level To what level are we committed to Jesus and saying that I'm all in? Post-resurrection, what implication does that mean for you and I's life? If I'm saying that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that my life on this earth right here is but a vapor here one day and gone the next, am I going to put all of my stock into this life, or am I going to believe everything there is to believe about Jesus and then live that out? So there's... There's this post-resurrection thing that's going on inside of all of us. And I'm I'm fascinated with the disciples when it comes to post-resurrection. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John twenty-one. John chapter 21, and, and uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated to read about what happened to the disciples after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he appears to them, and uh, I just, I think it's interesting. They've, they've encountered angels. They've encountered Jesus. They've heard the good news, and something along the road in their life, after they've experienced these things, something in their mind says, let's go fishing. <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but if I'm seeing a resurrected Savior, I don't know if I'm going fishing. Amen. Some of you guys are like, I'm fishing for sure. This is what they do. These disciples who'd spent the last three years following Jesus, the last three years watching his ministry, they've seen the angels, they've watched Jesus appear to them, and something tells them in their minds, you know what, I just don't know, let's go fishing. And so um, I'm going to kind of set this up for you in in, in a way, right before, I'm going to read John chapter 21 verse 12, right before this, they haven't caught any fish. They're out in their boats. They see this figure of a man standing on the shoreline. He says, hey, cast your nets onto the other side. And of course, in their mind, they're like, look, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. Don't tell us how to fish. We are fishermen. We, we know what we're doing. But they throw their nets on the other side, and it says they hauled in such a miraculous catch, they didn't know if they could even haul in the boat. Now, here's the fascinating part about that. Immediately, they recognized that the man on shore was Jesus, So they come to the shoreline, and this is where we pick up in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples. Now I just want to stop there for a minute. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So all of the other times that he had appeared to them and something in their heart says, let's go fishing. I just, it blows my mind. I don't get it, but yet I get it because I think we do that in our own life as well. Listen to what he says in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And of course, Peter says, yes, Lord. And Peter replied, you, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the same question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. We could talk about this all day long. This isn't what we're focusing on today, but... Peter, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, there's two things I think that are happening right here with, with Peter. Number one, Jesus is reinstating Peter, right? So Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter, the rock. Peter, the one that says, Lord, I'll never abandon you. Peter's the one who abandoned Jesus and denied him three times. And so in just kind of at the, the face value, he's restoring Peter for each one of those times. He's restoring Peter for each one of those denials. He's reminding Peter, look, I'm still after you, Peter. I still want you, Peter. And he's reminding Peter, do not let your failure define your life. Amen. And so he's, he's, he's reminding Peter, don't let your failure define your life. I still love you. But, but here's what I want to camp out on today, because there's a second part of this. There's a second thing. I think what he's doing is he's sharing with Peter that, Peter, if you're all in, if now that you see that where I was placed at in the tomb when I laid there and I was dead on Friday, if now that you see, because remember, Peter went to the tomb and he peered inside and he saw that it was empty. So if you post-resurrection Peter believe that I was in there on Friday and now, miraculously, I'm standing before you today because I've risen from the dead, I think what he's trying to do is, what kind of level of commitment do you have now, Peter? What kind of level of commitment are you willing to have in me now? If you saw me dead on a cross, put in a tomb, wrapped up, spices put on my body as a dead man, and then you went in on on Sunday and you saw that the tomb was empty, and now I appear before you, does it change your level of commitment, Peter? Peter? Let me tell you what he goes on to say in verse 18. Jesus says this then, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to dress. When you you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know what kind of death um, he would glorify God with. In other words, Peter was crucified um, as a martyr for Christ, and if you remember the story of Peter, he didn't want to die in the same way that Jesus wanted to die, so he said, hey, when you crucify me, crucify me upside down, okay? And and he goes on, and then Jesus says this to him, then Jesus told him, follow me. Somebody say, follow me. This to me is so strategic. Hold on to that verse right there. Follow me. So when you were young, you dressed yourself the way you wanted to dress, you did the things that you wanted to do, but as you get older, now someone else is gonna dress you and they're gonna take you to places that you don't want to go. And then he says, hold on, follow me. He told him, follow me. Um, I, I want you to see this because I think that it has big implications for us post-resurrection. The, the difficulty um, is that in this moment, uh, Peter was basically being told that his life is no longer his, right? So all of the time that he'd been walking with Jesus, Jesus is alluding to this. Like, you want to keep your life, you got to lay it down. If you want to save your life, you know, if you want to try to save your life, you're not, you, you, not going to be able to keep it. And so he's been telling the disciples this thing. But for the first time, I think it, something clicks in Peter's head for the first time. Like, my life is no longer going to be my life. And, and, and Jesus asked him those questions, do you love me? Three different times. And with each time he asks, do you love me? He's basically giving him a level of commitment. Then you're going to feed my sheep. You're going to take care of my sheep. You're going to tend to my sheep. If you say that you love me, there's a commitment level in which you have to walk in. And so we see kind of how Peter, you know, responds to this. And the difficulty is In scripture, is that you won't find anywhere in scripture where there's not an all out commitment to Jesus. Amen? There's no place that you'll find in scripture, and trust me, I I looked. (laughs) I looked. I'm like, is there any scripture that says we can have like a heart for the Lord, but a little bit of a heart for what we want? I looked all through scripture. I couldn't find anywhere where it says, serve the Lord your God with, with a partial heart. In fact, this is what it says, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and there's, there's hundreds of verses like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all, somebody say all. Your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all. Somebody say all. Your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all. Somebody say all. Your heart. There's this constant identity of completion in the heart, that if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to go after God, this word all is the standard. Post-resurrection, everything changed, because for a long time, this Jesus guy who did miracles and who did great things was still, for many, just a guy. But when the tomb was empty, something changed in the level of commitment of these disciples. Amen? Something stirred in their heart. This guy who was just a man who died on Friday was no longer in the tomb any longer on Sunday. Something changed in their level of commitment. And this is what Jesus is trying to bring them to. Here's the struggle. The struggle is between desire and commitment. And something we've addressed in here over the years, over and over and over, it's worth talking about again today, is this word desire. Everybody say Desire. Now, desire and commitment can absolutely be enemies of each other. Desire and commitment can absolutely be enemies of each other. I think most of us in this room would agree that if we love Jesus, we should have a desire to follow him. And if I can just take a minute and tell you why desire can be detrimental. And we've talked about this in here before, but I feel like we we have to address this if we're talking about post resurrection. There's a problem with the word desire. Sometimes we believe that having the desire is enough. If I just have a desire, that's enough. Let me tell you what Jesus said in Mark eight thirty four. whoever desires, me say desires, to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he's saying, look, if you have a desire, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take up your cross, which is laying your life down, and you're going to follow me. Look what he goes on to say. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, notice he doesn't say desires to lose his life. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Let me me tell you why desire is so important. From the first time that Jesus called Peter and the disciples, there was a desire in their heart to follow him. They immediately laid down their nets and they followed. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, when Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, he sees Peter and he sees Andrew fishing, throwing their nets into the water. Jesus called out to them in verse 19, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And it says they left their nets at once. There was no hesitation in them. There was no hesitation in them. They left their nets at once and they followed him. And let me tell you why I believe they did. This was exciting for them. They were fishermen. And all of a sudden, in this time, especially in Jewish history, when somebody that was a teacher, a rabbi, somebody that had a status of being this teacher rabbi, when that rabbi would say, come follow me, that was a big deal. Because for a rabbi to select you, for a teacher to select you to come and follow them, in that culture it was a big deal. So they threw their nets down, and they're like, this guy is choosing us. There was an excitement for them in following Jesus in this moment, knowing that they had been chosen. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers. And they throw their nets down, and they follow Jesus. Now contrast that with what we just read in John 29 when he says, follow me. In John 21, when he says, follow me, verse 19, he says, look, somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go. They're going to dress you like you don't want to dress and you're going to give your life up for me. But then what does he say? Follow me. So where he, they, when the disciples were first called, when Peter was first called, it was follow me. And it was like, yes, I got to follow Jesus. I got to follow this teacher, this guy, man, who brings masses with him wherever he goes. This guy that's a miracle worker, I got to follow him. But in the second part, when Jesus says, follow me, he's basically saying, follow me to your death. Follow me to where your life ends, and it begins in me. Pre-resurrection, they were in. They were like, I gotta follow this guy, he's a cool guy. Post-resurrection, they weren't sure in this moment. What just happened? This guy that we'd been following our whole life, he, he was dead and now he's alive and we just don't quite get it. This is why this is so important, church. There is something that's building up in these guys' life in this post-resurrection time. And Jesus is trying to convey to the disciples and to Peter that this excitement where it's just exciting and it's new and everybody likes to be a Christian and we throw it around like everything else, like it's exciting and all those things. He's saying there's going to come a time where your level of commitment changes, amen? Where it's not just based on something that's exciting, but it's based on you and I saying, man, I want Jesus more than anything else in my life. Even if it costs me, somebody say, costs me my life. What they didn't fully understand was that the require, what the requirements would be to, to follow. Which is why when faced with being associated with Jesus in an hour of his deepest need and when he was arrested and crucified, Peter would simply deny him And walk away. You see, his level of commitment was tied to his level of security. Amen. Peter's level of commitment to Jesus was tied to his level of security. How secure do I feel? That's my level of commitment with Jesus. You can look at it this way in everything else in life, in everything else in life, we can't use the word desire to do things that we need to be committed to. We've kind of shared this before, but some of you guys are going to go to work on on Monday. Some of you guys may go to work today. You can't call your boss up and say, look, I've got a desire to come in. Just don't think it's going to happen today, right? I don't feel secure, so I just don't think I'm going to come in. If you've got kids out there, there's no way that you're letting your kids say, look, I've got a desire to clean my room. I just don't feel secure in that right now, though, so I'm just not going to do it. I'll show you security, right? Or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you imagine Jesus on his face before his father, and and, and he's trying to be obedient to the cross. And he's like, God, Father, I know you sent me from heaven for this very reason. And I've got the desire, but the cross just looks rough. So there's no way that I'm going to do this. It would change everything for us. So desire versus full-on commitment is Different and they can absolutely war against one another. This is how desire can be deceptive for you and I. But it's a comfort word that we use in Christianity. Like, God knows the desires. We all say it. Come on now. God knows the desires of my heart. Does He? Because if He really knows the desires, you may be in trouble, right? I can promise you, if it was desire only for the believers that walked into those churches at Sri Lanka, on Easter Sunday, it was desire only, they wouldn't have been in those churches. Because they knew in the back of their mind, if we walk into this place, the reality of the culture that we live in over there, 50-50 chance somebody comes in here and blows us up. 50-50 chance somebody comes in here and shoots us up. And, and everywhere else in the world, I mean, ev- everywhere else, China. Uh, Over Middle East, wherever you go, Africa even in countries where you go into that church, 50-50 chance you don't walk out. So if it's desire and not full-on commitment, nobody's in those churches, amen? There's something that changed post-resurrection for the believer. There's something that changed. In Mark 8, Jesus is saying, listen, just desiring to lose your life isn't good enough. To enter a covenant relationship with the most wonderful person in the universe, you have to give yourself fully to him and be committed. Uh, last thing on this i 'm going to pound this in though <laughs> last thing on on desire um, and i 've read this i 've read this before in here I read it a while back. Um, John Bevere wrote kind of on what this looks like in a relationship, and i 'm just going to read what what he says. He says, imagine a young man is dating a, a young woman, and she's all that, great personality, attractive, loves taking care of him, just a great partner in life. And so he creates this amazing moment. This guy creates this amazing moment, kneels before his his, his, his his lady, and he proposes to her with this crazy, amazing, huge diamond ring that he's been saving up for her. And she responds, yes, 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 I wanna marry you. This is the happiest day of my life. And she looks into his eyes, and she passionately pr- promises. I'll be the best wife and the best partner in life and bring fulfillment to every part of our life. And this guy, man, he's like on cloud nine, all seems well. And then she says, but just let me make one more statement. She says, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best wife you could possibly imagine. Of course, there are the other boys that I still like to date, though. And every now and again, I may date them periodically. And stunned, the young man says, that's, that's, that's not going to work for me, Right? She pleads, honey, I, I do love you. In fact, I'm crazy about you, but I simply can't be a one-man kind of woman. I sincerely desire to be loyal to you. I know it's the proper thing to do and walk away from all other relationships, but let's just be real for a minute. I love attention. Why can't I have both? The young man's heard enough. He says, we're not getting married. In fact, I'm not even going to date you anymore. Why isn't he agreeing to her terms? Because her desire isn't a total commitment to just him. She isn't giving her himself her entire life. She's not giving that to him. She knows it would be the right thing to do. She's got a desire to do that. And on some level, she does desire to do that. But committing at a complete level of forsaking all else seems difficult to her. It's one thing to desire. It's another thing to actually commit full out. Every time I read that story, I, I think about, like, there's not a person in this room who's like, that would be crazy. <laughs> that would be ludicrous. If I got down on my knee and I proposed and I heard that, hey, look, I'm going to be so faithful and all this stuff, but there's still all those other people that I still want to be with, you and I would say that's ludicrous, that's stupid. How could somebody do that? Yet in Scripture, over and over and over and over and over and over, Jesus says, I'm coming back to a bride that's pure for me. Amen. I'm coming back to a church whose eyes are only on me. I'm coming back for men and women who want me, and they don't want the rest of the world. And I'm not, he's not going to share. <laughs> he's not going to share. That's not what he's interested in doing. And some of you are going, man, you're hammering this in today. Why? Like, I thought after Easter it was supposed to be like, tickle my ears a little bit. And we don't want to tickle your ears. We want to tell you the truth. That post-resurrection has implications to the commitment that you and I have made to Jesus Christ. We don't get to play church post-resurrection. We don't get to play church peering into an empty tomb. You and I look into an empty tomb and we see that a Savior has risen from the dead, man, and that everything he said was true, and so we're locked into that. Amen, church? Uh, Amen, church? (laughs) So why is it so difficult? Because I'm selfish. <laughs> because I'm prideful. Because at the end of the day, I have other desires, man. Everything that dangles in front of me like that dangling carrot, I want it. Everything in me in Jesus, I'm saying, Lord, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you with everything that I have, and then something dangles in front of me, and I'm like, can I, can I have that too? And if we just have that inside of us, it's ingrained in us. And so this is why it's an absolute warfare. It was for the disciples. They saw post-resurrected Jesus two other times. This was the third time they saw him. And yet they'd gone back to their old way of living. So Jesus is trying to show them something different. How quickly our commitment to Jesus can change. How quickly our commitment to Jesus can change. Somewhere along the line, Peter had walked away from the Lord Somewhere along the line, Peter had denied Jesus, and now Jesus is coming back to reinstate him. And in fact, in, in uh, John 6, I'm not gonna read all of this, but in John 6, 68, Simon Peter replied, when Jesus was given a really tough lesson to a bunch of people, Simon Peter replied, and all these disciples left Jesus, they, all, all these people that were following Jesus left him because what he was saying was so tough, so tough to hear, giving up your life, and all these things. And so Peter replies in, in, in John 6, 68, Um, Lord, to whom would we go to? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So while Jesus is working his ministry and the disciples are following Jesus, Peter's making confessions like, Lord, we have nowhere else to go. You have the words that give eternal life. Like, we believe you. We believe what you're saying. And and in that moment of walking with Jesus, there was security there. They weren't worried about the rest of the world. But then when Jesus dies and is put in that tomb, something happens in Peter's heart. I want my security back. I want my comfort back. I want my convenience back. And so at some point in time, Peter lays down a line that says, I'm not going to cross over this line. This is my line. I'll get committed to you up into this certain point. But once this line right here is drawn, I'm not going to commit any further because of the security or the comfort or the status or what people think. Or that whatever that comes with I, I don't want to go any further because of what it might cause in my life. And listen, we all have the lines that we draw on the sand. Maybe it was attractional for Peter. Maybe he liked that the crowds followed Jesus. Maybe it was the reality of losing social status. Maybe it was just simply the reality he didn't want to lose his life. And so he drew his line in the sand. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, but from the statement that he made up here from the time of this statement of saying, Lord, to whom would we go? Like, you are life. We believe you. To the time where he denies Jesus and then ends up abandoning Jesus, something had brought him to a place where he laid a line down and said, Lord, I'm not going to go any further in my commitment to this line. I'm done. This is my line. This is my line. And I don't know what your line is. Maybe your lines are similar. Maybe Jesus is fun and and, and, unless life gets really interrupted by him, but I'm gonna tell you this, we all have lines that we've drawn in the sand of what that level of commitment is gonna look like. And I'm just gonna tell you this, we better figure out how to cross that line. (laughs) We better figure out how to cross this line because um, when we give our life to Jesus, I can promise you this, he's gonna take us to those places where we butt up against the line to see what we're gonna do, amen? He's going to take, if he knows where you're comfortable and secure at, and that's comfort and security is keeping you from more of him, he's going to butt you up against that comfortable, secure line so that he's going to see if you're going to cross that line, church. So you and I have to start asking, like, what is that line for me that's in the sand? Let me just, let me just close out with these last three things real quickly then. When we talk about this line in the sand, and we talk about this commitment, let me tell you what commitment is not. Commitment is not superficial, amen? That word superficial carries with it. It's not deep. It's just on the surface. It it doesn't go anywhere. And so when we talk about superficial, we're saying this. If it comes easy and naturally, then we're in. But if I've got to really dig and if I've got to go after it and if I might lose some friends from this or I might lose some status from this, I just don't know about it. Look, commitment is not superficial. Maybe it's exciting to follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, it is exciting to follow Jesus. Maybe it was comfortable for them to follow Jesus and it was for them. Maybe they knew that that Jesus could heal and do the miracles and all those things, but the moment that Jesus was arrested and crucified, something in them drew that line in the sand and they made that a superficial relationship. I'm not willing to cross it. And I wonder how many times as we read God's word, we simply table the parts of the scripture that offend us or offend the way that we live. And I wonder in this moment, if you and I would sit there and say, look, I, I, I know that if I draw this line of sand and my comfort and security is gonna butt up against it, I know there's gonna come a time where God's asking me to step across that comfort line, where God's gonna ask me to step across that security line. So so, so commitment is, is not a superficial thing. Number two, commitment is not convenient. Somebody say convenient. Man, we love... We love convenience. We absolutely love convenience. And so many times when we approach Jesus, um, we we love the convenience of it. In fact, um, as I opened up and shared about the the church over there at Sri Lanka and, 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 and how people went in there and killed all those people that were there to worship, I wonder again, in convenience, like would we go? Would we be a part of that? Um, I remember years ago, Francis Chan, some of you guys have have listened to Francis Chan, I remember years ago, Francis Chan, he led a church of like 10,000 called Cornerstone, and they did this huge building campaign, and they were going to build this massive, gaudy facility, millions and millions and millions of dollars, and something happened in Francis Chan's heart, and he's like, man, I just feel like we need to give most of that money to missions around the world, and let's just build an outdoor amphitheater. Like, let's just invite the whole church, we'll worship outside, it'll be awesome, it's half the cost, it'll hold all 10,000, let's just do that. And all of a sudden, he said, all this opposition began rising up inside of people. They were like, um, hey, if we're outside, like, what if it rains? He's like, what if it rains? Can we not worship God in the rain? Like, well, what if it's cold? He's like, well, do we have coats? (laughs) And systematically, they're going down the line of how inconvenient it would be to worship God outside of any place that didn't have four walls and a roof. You hear me? And I look at that and I'm like, I'm not so far removed from that. When when one of our lights doesn't work up here, you ask Matt, I'm like, Matt, we can't do church until you fix the light, right? If one of the guitars is out of tune, I'm like, guys, how are we gonna worship if the guitar's out of tune? Like I'm not so far removed, I like my convenience. I like my comfortability, and then I realize that post-resurrection convenience is out the window. Amen, church? (laughs) All right. One one more. Commitment is not compartmentalized. Band, you guys can come on up. Commitment is not compartmentalized. Um, We put Jesus above all else in every other area of our life. Um, We've talked about this in here before, but we talk about compartmentalized. Here's what we do. Like, I've got my work life. I don't always invite Jesus into my work life. I've got my family life. I want a little bit of Jesus in my family life, unless like my wife is going to beat me over the head with that, right? And then I've got my Sunday morning church life, and it's awesome. You should see me at church. (laughs) I'm awesome at church, right? And what we've done is we've compartmentalized i've got work life over here and my political views right here and my family life right here and 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 then and i've got my church life right here and i don't really like them intermixing with one another because you know political views they offend people and 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 my family life well we're all just different and work life like people are going to just think i'm weird if i start talking about post-resurrection jesus Like everybody likes Jesus, but I'll start saying he's raised from the dead and he's everything inside of me. Like people think I'm weird with that, right? And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to compartmentalize it all. And then I'm going to have an awesome Sunday encounter with the Lord. But all these other things that I've compartmentalized, I'm just not going to bring Jesus into it. I think he's going to be okay with that. I'm just, I'm telling you, that doesn't fit this narrative. looking into an empty tomb seeing that Jesus is no longer in there he's appeared to them three times now showed up at their workplace while they're fishing he's not he's not compartmentalized Jesus is very much into your family and He's very much into your work and He's very much into your church life and He's very much into your views on politics and He's very much into these things He's not compartmentalized so I guess what I want to do is just challenge you with something and I, I put it up there can you show that last slide is Jesus someone that you profess publicly or Possess personally Let me tell you what I mean by that Is being a Christian Just kind of a cool term that we all say And use Pre-resurrection Jesus, post-resurrection Jesus Like looking in the empty tomb Yeah, we all like it We're energized Easter came Celebrate Woo Or does post-resurrection Jesus Mean that He's inside of me now And that everything that I do stems from my relationship with Him. 253 people walked into an Easter service last week, not just with a desire, but with a total commitment to worship and praise Jesus whom they would given their lives to that was raised from the dead. So this morning I ask you this question. You and I at that level of commitment in our own life. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.